Hey everyone, I'm Clinton. Hi, I'm Hillary. And welcome to Black Atlantic. We're a primarily Black Atlantic-centric podcast, website, and media channel with the goal of bringing East Coast POC voices to the world. You can expect to hear from us every week with guests, segments, panels, roundtables, exploring topics from all over Atlantic Canada. So be sure to follow us on blackatlantic.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and more. All right. So this is fun for us. This is our guest week. And this week, we are going to be talking to Alon McCall. Alon McCall is, I would say now, definitely a New Brunswick native, born and raised <laughs> in... <laughs> Hey, hey, I think almost more than half your life now, right? Listen, man, I... Born and raised in the... Uh, No, no, go ahead. I I, No, no, please, please go. All right. uh, Okay, there's there's some controversy around whether or not Alon is a New Brunswick native. Um, Yeah. But born and raised in in the Bronx, right? Yes, Uh, yes. You've been here for, I think, over 20 years now. Uh, Okay, 20. 19 and a half. Okay, we haven't reached okay. two decades but yet. Okay. Awesome. Um, but yeah, a musician and producer, also a very interesting person. And we're going to be getting to this conversation with Alon in just a minute. But first off, Hillary, how are you? Well, you know how I am. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> I have COVID. <laughs> um, so what was supposed to be our first in-person guest episode, first in-person episode of this podcast I came here on Tuesday. I had a sore throat before I boarded the plane, took a rapid test, which was negative. And before I met you, I did my due diligence because you have kiddos and uh, got two positive tests. I'm not holding you accountable for the feelings that I have, but I feel horrible right now. Um, I saw a lot of people, but I did my due diligence, told everybody, everybody seems fine right now. But uh, so unfortunately for everybody watching and listening, this was supposed to be in person and a little bit more dynamic, but those will come and they will happen later. Um, But other than that, the time I had outside was fun. It was nice to breathe the New Brunswick air. And I, one of the big reasons I came was I got to hear my play performed by actual people in the industry in front of me. And it was good enough that they are paying me to keep doing it. So I'm really, really excited. They're planning on mounting it in two years time. I'm a playwright. It's a real thing. I got to hear it at Aberdeen Cultural Center where my mom went to school and I had a big cry about all of those feelings. And then I cried because I caught COVID. How are you, Clinton? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Definitely not taking a responsibility for your catching COVID in any way. Um, You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. But in this case, I'm really glad you did that test because, yeah, I still haven't caught it and I want to be one of the last. Uh, I'm in no rush for that whatsoever. But this week we had had plans to go down to Van Allison University to broadcast and record with the the fine folks at CHMA FM. who just picked up our podcast last week. So you could check it out there, chmafm.com or on 106.9 Sackville. But those plans got pushed back and that's okay. That's just the reality of how life has been the past two years. Um, My life, my week has been good. We had a great day today in Sackville. There was a family fun event where we took the kids to do sledding, tobogganing, hot dogs, (laughs) and maple syrup sticks. If you've never had that, if you're not from Canada, you've never had maple syrup sticks. Like this is a annual event it's pure sugar it's gross but it just uh, wrecks your bloodstream for a bit gives you all this energy tastes like heaven and we had a great time doing that 
uh i don't know i don't know what else is up with my week so i'll just skip over me uh, i'm doing good in general though what's up i i will just add briefly that i only had a maple from from what i can recall for the first time this year in toronto so late to the game but i don't remember ever having one as a kid but i had one like in yorkville it's nothing fantastic i don't even know why it's a thing when i first saw it i was like what is this <laughs> like what what the fuck can i curse here Oh, oh, yeah, we're the same okay. people. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I was like, what yeah. is this? And like, and then this was like a school trip. So my first experience with the maple thing was uh, on, a, on a class trip with my son when he was very, very young. And I was like, why is this a thing? Why is this a class trip? And why are we here? Um, and they're like, oh, no, it's the maple. And they had like this like tray of snow and they drizzled the, the maple on the snow and they had the sticks and they handed them out to the kids and... I was like, I guess, you know, these kids, you know, they, they entertain easily. So, I mean, it's, it, it's a part of our Canadian heritage. It's, it's, it's literal gold. It's Canadian gold. I, I, we've, they've, they've got like millions of dollars of maple reserves stored in like government buildings just in yeah, case so I've heard. the world ever runs out of maple. Yeah, I heard uh, about this. This is that, a and, high and that price heist. commodity exported all over yeah. the world. Yeah, Canadian maple that. syrup yeah. is, is the crack. And, it um, is. Yeah, it's it's tradition. Like whether it's actually that's what I was saying. Like it's like a sugar rush. It's a flavorful sugar rush that's like it's great and it's good. And you feel like a lot of Canadians feel like they gotta do it at least once a year. And I enjoyed it. But then after it's it's always too much. Like it's it's heavy. It's it's like a blob of sugar. Um but that's what I did. Uh the kids liked it. I don't give them too much sugar, but this is a fun event. So yeah. If you're ever in New Brunswick or Canada in the winter, I think you should try it at least once. But mm. enough about that, I think. Can we move on from the maple syrup? Yeah, let's start talking about Alon. <laughs> let's talk to Alon. Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> Not as engaging as maple syrup sticks, but okay. Let's no, no, that's a great introduction out. to Alon. I've known Alon for probably seven, eight years, and Alon has a lot of strong opinions on, on a lot of things, including maple syrup. So yeah. this is definitely something I'm excited about. And uh, let's get into the chat. Alon, um, tell us a bit about who you are and how you arrived in this Moncton, New Brunswick part oh of the world goodness. that you are not a native of. Uh, I was kidnapped. No. Um, okay. First off, guys, thank <laughs> you so much for <laughs> thank you so much for for having me on on your new platform. I'm I'm very excited for you guys and congratulations. Uh, so I just want to say that publicly on that. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, my story. Well, once upon a time, I, I I met a girl and didn't know she was from Canada. I had no idea where she was from and. I didn't know about Canada because I'm an American, right? So um, anyway, met this girl, um, got her pregnant, and six months in, I was like, you know what? It makes more sense to be closer to your family than mine. I'm willing to uproot and, and, and move. And so I did. Again, not knowing Canada, not knowing what Moncton was. Um, still don't know what Moncton is. Um, and I just decided to, <laughs> and I decided to follow my son. And so that's what happened, uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, so I was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, raised in the South Bronx, and then came here, uh, when I was 24, 25, um, years old. And, uh, yeah, shock and awe are two words to describe my, my, my first impressions of this, this fair, this fair province. Uh, but that's, that's basically my coming to New Brunswick story in a nutshell. So I'm curious, although I do know some of the answers, but I'd love for you to tell our audience, what, what has New Brunswick been like for you in this 19 and a half to be quite precise journey for you? 
it, it's been an interesting. Uh, it, it's it's. <sighs> It's been an enigma. It really has, because there's a thing, you know, in the States, you're not taught about Canada a lot. But the one thing you are, I will say, taught or ingrained with is that Canada is this, you know, friendly, neutral place somewhere north. That's what it is. And Canada, when you're in the States, unless you really delve into it, it's not broken down into provinces. It's like this one landmass that's called Canada and that's it. Right. It's not separated into any sort of east, west, central. It's it's not done like that. Um, and so, you know, coming here and experiencing Canada for what it really is, at least the Atlantic provinces anyway. Um, it's been interesting. It's been interesting because a lot of things have changed, but a lot of things are very much still the same. Um and, you know, it's it's one of those those kind of, you know, realizations of of uh, yeah. It's 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 frustrating because you know you be here for for two decades and you raise a, a child and you still see the same attitudes and the same perceptions and the same you know and, and you know we've we've done podcasts in the past and and you know the stories that we hear from you know older individuals of color here in the Maritimes are still resonating with with you know with me and even with younger you know people of color here in the Maritimes too the same stories keep happening. Um, you know, and so in, in one way, like I said, a lot of things have changed and there's been progress if you look at, you know, infrastructure and things of that nature. But, you know, society and the social fabric and the social interaction between the races and between people um, still seems to be very much the same. and seems to be stagnant over the course of, you know, my my 20 years uh, of being here in New Brunswick specifically. That is definitely a story that we keep hearing all the time there's always new shocking stories that happen even in 2022 and you're just like what is going on <laughs> like yeah, i thought it's, we it's, i thought we got somewhere or i thought society's at least moved past this but the reality is maybe new brunswick is really a place that's stuck in the past even even now like in a bit of a time loop as much as it has advanced in the past 20 years since i first took a peek at this province uh it's still really behind a lot of other places in the world and provinces so it's, it's pretty stressful in that regards um interesting for you as well because so you are how tall are you if you don't mind me asking six five Six five. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> okay. But okay. I mean, um, you are, you know, I don't know if you mentioned this in the intro, but you are you are a music producer. You've oh, been yeah. a music producer for years. You're from a family of musicians, and you grew up in the South Bronx at a time when hip hop was uh growing, blooming, and blossoming. And uh, aside from a lot of other very wrong stereotypes that I've heard you tell me that people have about you, um, there's another one that people get wrong a lot. You grew up not particularly a huge fan of hip hop and rap. You liked another form of music. Um, so what was that like for you? Just the, the oh, that's a deep question. Notions. That's a deep question because that delves into a whole thing of like inter um, race nonsense and with black people between you being too white to be black and too it, that's a whole that's a very deep question you're asking. But no, my my. I mean, my my parents were R and B. My dad was R and B singer, artist, musician. Uh, my mom was a songwriter. So basically, growing up, it was you know old school all R and B from like the sixties, seventies. Isley Brothers, you know, um, Luther Vandross, you know, Anita Baker, all that stuff, right? And then my mom though was more pop. So it was like your Barbara Streisand and you know your uh, 
all of your kind of, I guess we'll say your white pop stuff. So, you know, my mom used to listen to a uh, uh, 106.7 Light FM in New York. And so they all played. So that, <laughs> and so they would play like all of this, you know, the BGs and Streisand and all that stuff. And so, you know, and then you had BLS, you know, that that WBLS that played, you know, all of your your black urban arm, old school R&B and soul and funk. Um, you know, cameo and all that stuff. So, like, I had a very interesting upbringing. And between those two, I ended up falling into the grunge emo <laughs> section of music um, and and classical. So those two things are are my favorites. And uh, and my parents, it's funny because my parents had no idea what to do with me or my sister. They were like, what the fuck? What happened? Like, where do we go wrong? I don't understand. How do you like my dad had a full on meltdown. He was like, I don't understand. Why are you listening to the screaming music? I don't get it. I don't understand what they're saying. And and so anyway, he finally, quick story, he finally, you know, I was like 17 and, and he finally was like, okay. He's like, I, I, I get that you like this stuff. He's like, but you need to understand and learn the history of rock music if you're going to be a fan of rock music. And at the time, uh, PBS, the public broadcasting uh, system or station in, in New York, um, had a documentary, The History of Rock and Roll. And this was probably like the late 90s, like 98, 99. Um, and it was a 13-part series. And so my dad and I were not really close and we didn't really get along the older I got. But this was the one time that he and I sat down together and watched something for 13 consecutive nights. Um, and in this, I learned that black people created rock and that they were instrumental in the foundations of rock music. Um, and, and so it was, you know, I learned at a very young age that, that it was okay for me to be a fan of this music and, and to want to do this music now socially and everything else is a different battle that I've had to fight even to this day. You know, even, you know, I have a band now called Echo seven. And at first we had a rapper in the group, and every podcast interview that we did, people automatically assumed that I was the rapper. Because how dare the six foot five black man be the drummer and the songwriter? He must be the rapper. Um, and and I, I was not rapping at all. I knew, you know, that's not that I can't write 16 bars if I had to, but I wasn't the guy doing it. Um, so it's it's even to this day, you know, you still, you know, even when I do business with the band, it's still, you know, everyone assumes that it's not me. I'm not the guy that you talk to. Um, and my band members like, no, he's the guy you got to talk to. And everyone gets this look on their face like, oh, and, you know, and things change. So it's um, so, yeah, so rock music is my is my love and my passion and, and what I really um, have ended up being good at. Um, and, and so that's what I do. That's really interesting, because I guess like so you were being sort of judged by people around you for liking this music that to them, without maybe knowing the history of it didn't feel black uh, and this was before high-speed internet and stuff like that so it might be hard to know that history for everyone to know that history but it's but... an interesting thing though man like if you look at it um i don't understand where that disconnection came because one of the great like i, I only found out literally last year that slash is half black the mm. greatest guitar one of the greatest guitar players of all time in rock history is a black man. That's, that's I only really found that out last year, right? Because everyone well, was making a big deal about how um, 
Axl Rose and and Slash back in the day were wearing like NWA hats and and they knew um, you know Easy E and stuff like that and people were like oh this is so cool like look the you know the melding of like you know genres not realizing that I didn't again I didn't know that Slash was half bl- I had no idea I didn't know until I, last year I feel like if that's the case though Slash probably didn't do a, a didn't work very hard to let people know that maybe but his that, record label didn't want him to or maybe it Slash was is a very white looking dude but the point is and at the end of the day he's a black man and here we have a genre oh go ahead Hillary she's gonna clarify just confirming african-american mother british father but the articles talking about it are like so- NME was saying that uh, Guns N' Roses track was racist and homophobic, and he clarified that he was black in in 2018. So I don't know how people didn't know until 2018. Right. That's my thing, though. Right. That's like you looking at Lenny Kravitz and being like, no, you know what I mean? Like, it's all I'm trying to say is that you look at the slash is literally considered a guitar god. Yep. Um, I feel like that's how it is with all genres of music. Like they, you know, all genres of music, almost all genres of music have black roots, Uh, grassroots, funk, country, rock, metal. And by the way, grunge was kind of cool in the nineties. Like I listened to it a bit. Like there's, there's some, there's some good in that. Listen, grunge um, was great in the nineties when it was done right. There was a lot of shitty grunge. Don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of good shit out there. Like I, it, it, it got me through my teen years single-handedly <laughs> literally i still remember the day that i watched um smelled the video for smells like teen spirit for the first time i had come home from school early and i got a snack and i went in the living room and turned on the tv and it was left on mtv from the night before and i turned the tv and that infamous opening riff did and do i literally stood there i literally stood in front of the tv the entire length of the video and at that moment it began and that's when i was like 13 going on 14 so and before that i was into like phil collins and things like that but he's a drummer so it you know it kind of makes sense you know but it was a natural gradual progression so i went from like phil collins i skipped over the hair metal and went straight to grunge is what happened to, to me um, makes sense but i can see that progression <laughs> you know what i mean like it just kind of you know yeah just skipped um, I want to ask you a question that I don't know why I've never asked you before, but who of all of the things that you've named, you've named a, a lot of, you know, influential singers, performers, musicians, Phil Collins, who inspires you specifically in the music that you make now, or even, you know, before when you first started? Oh, wow. Um, that's a good question because I don't know if it's any specific person. Um, I, I think it's the creations that the people that artists create that inspire me. Um, because unfortunately, when you take a closer look at artists, artists are very, you know, tormented, interesting individuals, and they have their eccentricities, eccentricities, excuse me, when you delve too deep. And if you dig too deep, then you end up not liking the person. And you know what I mean? Um, I or Kelly. <laughs> anyway, so um, that being said, you know, if I don't want to have that conversation of like, you know, do I like separate the man from the art? You know, it, it I, I just take it from the music, right? And so when growing up, it was more of the compositions, right? Like Phil Collins is an asshole, but he's an amazing drummer, 
right? So, you know, growing up, it was literally just the songs that moved me, that inspired me. And it was like, man, like, I just, I have a really huge affinity for, for melody um, and, and, and for song structure. And, you know, it, that's what moves me and that's what influences me, whether it's classical music, whether it's pop music, you know, whether, you know, rock is just something that, the sound of the guitar and, and the arrangements and the loudness and the dynamics of the music is what drives me to love that genre as much as I do, because that is a genre that accurately expresses what I have in here and what's up here. Right. Um, so it's not, a, it's not an individual person that inspires me. Um, it's, it's very much more just their compositions and their bodies of work that they do. Um, and it may not be a whole song. It may just be like, you know, a bridge. It may be just a hook. Like there are a lot of songs that are just trash, but the hooks are amazing. Like, you know, and there's like, it could be and literally anything, Hillary. Like, I think someone had told me something the other day um, and I wrote it, I typed it down. It could just be like something, someone's saying something and I'm like, man, that's awesome. I need to either use that or write something like that. Um, yeah, so someone had said something to me and I wrote it down, always make a good time out of the misery. And I was like, you know what? That's going to make a great follow-up EP to my first one that I'm dropping this year. It's stuff like that. Like, I just hear stuff I'm like, man, that's like the coolest thing. And then those things inspire me and 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 and, and keep me going in, in creatively. It's not just one person because, you know, everyone has hills and valleys in their creative process, right? Sometimes people are on fire for, you know, three, four, five years, and then they have a lull. And and they put out trash, and then they end up, you know, getting back on top again. So, um, yeah, it's it's just it's their creations. It's not the people. So that would be my long winded answer to your question. That's good. I feel that. I also feel that about the one liners, just because I think that's another thing in 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 poetry and story writing. Mm. I you'll find I don't know how many notes in my phone that have one sentence that I'm like this this someone says something someone says this somewhere in my writing. I just don't know what character yet i've not built that person's world yet but it exists and yes exactly it's like uh that 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 show the greatest american hero and the theme song is uh believe it or not i'm walking on hair on air i never thought i could feel so free flying away in a wing in a prayer and i'm like that hit me like at age eight i was like flying away in a wing in a prayer like that has stuck with me for like my whole life um it's it literally is things like that like you said it's just like it's like one-liners that just hit and when it's something about the english language you just piece things together properly it's like it's magic and it's just like man like that really hits and so it's it's a constant thing in my life it's just something will be said and it'll hit and i'll like oh okay that's awesome and i have to you know so uh so yeah that's that's how that's what influences me and, and motivates me to keep going Amazing. Our good old, uh, our good old English language. Um, well, since we're I mean, talking about this, I don't know when else I'd ever bring this up. Like I'm, I'm a full disclosure. I'm secretly a huge fan of like Cat Stevens, Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just okay. Every, everyone, everyone who's listening, black people can like everything. Parsley, like, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Let's get it. <laughs> oh, we, we know about you, Hillary. <laughs> Listen, Simon has more talent than Garfunkel though. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Oh, um, obviously yeah um so what's it like were you were you doing audio engineering and producing in in new york yes i was i um what happened was i graduated from high school 
and I had this grand dream of going to NYU, and I didn't get in, and it devastated me. Um, and then I thought I wanted to design cars, and then I applied to MIT, and I got accepted, and I did the entrance interview. And I think I told you guys this story. And I went to the entrance interview, and the uh, the, administ- the, ad- the admin chick who was doing the interview, she's like, you know what, I, I read your-, your entrance essay, and she's like, I'd be doing a great disservice to you by going forward with your admission. She's like, because I read your essay and you're an extremely creative person. She's like, basically, we're going to give you a textbook and we're going to give you a laptop. We're going to shove you into a corner. We're going to tell you to do math. And she's like, that's what we're going to expect you to do 24-7. And she's like, that's not you. I can know it's not you, no matter how much you like cards, not you. Because in your essay, I can clearly see you and not this guy. So sorry, but not sorry. And at the time... I was devastated because, again, it's the second school that I got, you know, rejected at. But in hindsight, I think that woman, whose name I do not know, um, because she literally had the guts and the backbone to free me from a life of misery, you know, and, and wasted time in my life. And, and so after that, um, I went ahead and I, I opened up the Yellow Pages, the old school phone book, and... Uh, I went ahead and just started calling studios. I was like, listen, I, I'm looking to intern. I want to learn. Um, you know, you guys, you know, taking interns. And, and I ended up at a studio called Silver Bolt Studios. It was uh, on 28th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue. And uh, I started out there. And and literally, I, you know what? All the old school stories of like running for donuts and getting coffee, I did it. I ran for coffee. I cleaned the bathrooms, you know, and then you would stick around. And back in the day, for those who don't know, when you had to learn audio engineering, you did one of two things. You either went to school and paid a bunch of money. So in New York, there's a school called the Institute of Audio Research. I don't know if they're still around or not, but at the time they were. And they had an audio engineering course. It's kind of like the bullshit courses that they give at like, you know, like McKenzie and like Eastern College and MBCC. It's like, you know, like a, like a 10 month program. You pay like $15,000 and you get a certificate at the end that allows you to do like the bare entry minimum of what the job is supposed to be. That's what the school did. So I went there and I filled up the application for that and, and it was 15 grand. I was like, well, I don't have 15 grand. So I went to the yellow pages and called around and uh, I started out a silver bolt and did, did the, the running around. And, and back in the day, you just hung around the studio and hoped that an engineer would take pity on you and show you what a button did or what that flashing light meant. Right. And you either, it was the luck of the draw. Sometimes the engineers were total assholes, which I encountered, or some guys were really helpful. So when I started out, Silver Bolt Studios was run by a bunch of guys who actually were the latter. They were very helpful. The, they were from California. They moved to New York. They started the studio, and they wanted to really help interns learn. So once a week, they would shut down the studio in the evening and have the interns come in, and they would actually show you how to use the board, how to use you know equalizers and compressors, and they, they would give you the manuals to read and things like that. And then on the weekend, you could come in and actually record stuff on your own. They had like old ADAT tapes that you could record on and things like that. So my entry into the audio engineering world was, was a, a very nice one and very pleasant. After Civil Studios, I ran into the assholes. And so at that point, okay. I started running into the jerks and the dicks. And, and you got to understand that audio engineering, much like everything else, 
in this world is, you know, it could be very racially charged. Here you have a bunch of white dudes running studios. And here's this young black kid coming into a white studio talking about, I want to learn. And they expect you to either just be ignorant, thuggish, or just do whatever the fuck they say because you're so desperate to learn. Um, and at that time, like you were saying, you know, hip hop was coming in that rise. Puffy was starting to, you know, sample the fuck out of everything and make tons of money. So hip hop was on the rise and everyone was wanting to do that genre. But the old school studios that were doing jazz and rock and pop were still thriving as well because CDs were still making money. And home studios were not at the point that they are now. So if you still want to do a professional recording, you still had to do the studio thing. Um, and so my thing was I didn't go to hip hop studios to intern. I my dumbass went to the regular studios because growing up, that's where my dad went. My dad went to Waterfront Studios in Hoboken. So it was a white run. That's what we did. So I grew up in the studio. So it just made sense to me to go to those type of studios. Not what real. Was, what was, I, I want to know what it was like when you got to New Brunswick, though. And also, like, I, I hear you. I went to, in Toronto, I went to the Harris Institute for the Arts mm. for two semesters. And I did learn a lot there. That was one of the more accredited um, music schools in Toronto. But after that, I left and I just started calling around random studios. I didn't finish. I went there for like a year. I didn't finish. Uh, and I just started asking, like, will you take me as an intern? And eventually yeah. this guy took me in and I learned more from him than I learned from anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. That New York background story is wild. That's I feel like I was that's really insightful. I just I love hearing stuff like that. But what was it like when you got to New Brunswick? What is the past 19 years of being a producer in New Brunswick like out here in the East Coast Maritimes? What are some of your experiences there that you came across? Yeah, I, I ended up picking not by choice, the one province with no music industry. I, I didn't do my research before I got here. Um, you know, if I was going to do music, you know, like everyone, you know, knows, you probably should have landed in Nova Scotia. Now PEI has a very thriving music industry over there. They've done a really great job over the past 10, 15 years of ramping up and, and, and getting funding for their stuff. And, and they're doing it the right way, just, just to put that out there. They're, they seem to have, like, learned from everyone's mistakes, and they're starting off right. So they're starting off inclusive. They're starting off on the right foot, which I give them a lot of credit for. Here in New Brunswick, there is no music industry. Fuck music New Brunswick. Fuck all of them. Um, and I say that with the intense amount of emotion that is required. Um, and I say that because you have an entity here called Music New Brunswick that is federally funded, and their job is specifically to foster music and talent and to find music and talent within the province, thus the title of Music New Brunswick. And here we have an entity that is federally funded, and when is the last time that you've ever seen Music New Brunswick put on a showcase to find talent? When have you ever seen Music New Brunswick put on a concert series? When have you ever done, seen any Music New Brunswick do anything that does not put money into Music New Brunswick's pocket, i.e., the 506 festival that they put on every year. Um, and even that, you have to go ahead, you have to pay to get nominated. And if they don't have enough people in the category to nominate you, then they just shove you into another category to make it enough people in a certain category. So you're not even going to be in a category and be judged for your music if there's not enough people in your genre that are being nominated. Then you have to buy tickets to the event. It's a whole hustle for me. Um, what was it like for you? Like, what was it like for you in New Brunswick over the years as a producer? Not like that one organization you don't like. What have your experiences been? Well, that one organization, unfortunately, is is part of my experience with with them, right? So you're looking at a guy that, you know, literally, you know, opened up my studio, 
um, I was nominated for Music Business of the Year 2014. I was nominated three times for Producer of the Year, and I was nominated two times for Recording Studio of the Year by Music New Brunswick. So this whole thing of them, you know, shout out to 180 for winning the award, but let's be real. I just yeah. named three opportunities where they had a chance to nominate and to give an award to a black man, and they chose to do it now because now it's trendy. And now everyone's got a microscope on him. Nothing against 180. He's had a long career. He deserves it. And I'm not salty. I'm just making the point that Music New Brunswick does not get credit for giving a black man an award when I just named three opportunities when you had a chance to give someone an award who was a person of color. Just saying. Anyway, back to my experience as yeah, being a producer. Yeah, it's certainly surprising to be anywhere in the world and hear that, like, sorry, but, like, Black people are a central, integral part of all music genres, like we just mentioned. It is surprising, even in a province with not a lot of Black people, it's surprising to hear that no one's it's ever disturbing. won one. And this, not that 180 is not deserving, because he is, but it's... It He's was, very it much is, so. It was a bit surprising so. for me to hear that, yeah. It, you know what I mean? And, and you look at a guy, you know, and you look at the ECMAs. So you have a genre that is a Black urban genre, and who constantly gets nominated, wins awards, and has been making a living off of black music. Classified. How the fuck is that possible? How the fuck is that possible? I'm not saying the man doesn't have some talent. He's got to have some talent, I, I assume. But let's be real. Like, how is it that the white boy gets nominated and wins on a consistent, regular basis? And he gets all the press, and it's like, oh, he's the golden child of hip-hop. How the fuck? Listen. You know, like I said, I, it, it's not the fact that he is who he is. It's the fact that you have entities and organizations, ECMA, Music New Brunswick, who are going ahead and choosing not to be inclusive and not to have their ear to the ground to find talent. You've got that Michael J. Fox guy here. This dude is dropping mixtapes like every week. Every week. This dude stays in the studio. He lives in the studio. What, what, it, it, you mean to tell me they don't know about this guy? You mean to tell me that you can't throw him a nomination? You mean to tell me that his work ethic and his grind isn't worth spotlighting and highlighting? You see what I mean? Like so, so my experience is a part of the music of New Brunswick disdain. Um, I know that when I started my studio, um, everyone assumed that I was a hip hop producer just because I'm a tall black man. So they assumed, well, that's all I could do. Um, so I took it and I ran with it. So I was like, okay, fine. If that's what you think, then whatever, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, and that was a bit disturbing for me because it, it, it didn't give me a chance to be me. I literally had to be, you know, a, a, a facet of myself, but you know, I am a drummer. I'm a songwriter. Like, you know, I compose music. I, I you know, like it, making beats is great. But that's really not what I do. I'm a tactile guy. So I like, I like beating on a drum. I like playing guitar. That's what I like doing. Um, and for everyone to assume that that was all I could do and to pigeonhole me that way, um, artists and industry included, was, was very frustrating. Um, and it made running the studio very stressful. It made, um, you know, dealing with artists very stressful. Um, because, again, everyone only assumed that that was the only lane that I was capable of, of, of thriving in. And, you know, if and, and I had clients that came in, you know, if they did rock or whatever, they would always, you know, either second guess me or question me and question my skill set. 
So, you know, oh, well, what kind of mics are you using? Or, excuse me, oh, well, do you know how to do this? Or, oh, do you, and always trying to find, you know, holes in, in, in my work because they assume that I didn't know how to record drums acoustically. I didn't know how an acoustic guitar is supposed to sound acoustically. I don't know a proper, you know, so, so even clientele wise, it, there was, it, 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 it put a rift and, and a barrier between my interaction with them because they assumed one thing, what they heard or what they assumed by just seeing me. And then, you know, again, not allowing me to actually flourish and be the person, the producer that, that I am. So, you know, I wanted to, uh, I actually wanted to touch on that and maybe we can elaborate a bit more, um, because I had the privilege of, uh, interviewing you for buyblacks.com. Um, and I was happy with that piece, but I did want to give you an opportunity to talk more, although you did touch on it now, um, about your experience and how much of that, like was through a lens of racism. And I know there's, a lot of the conversation about um, music, New Brunswick, unfortunately, is I think a bit of like white boys club, sort of self-serving. And I can understand that opinion where it comes from. I definitely don't know enough about it. But even I remember, you know, talking when we did that interview about how it felt like you were constantly having to to check yourself, to validate your identity mm-hmm. as a black musician, regardless of what you were playing. And I just wanted if you could elaborate more on on what that experience was like for you, how it was different in New Brunswick. And if, you know, did that take like a mental toll on you? Did it make you ever want to give up playing music? Because having to constantly reassure people that you deserve to be in that space as a black woman is exhausting. And I'm not even trying to make music. No, absolutely. Listen, you, you probably know exactly what that feels like uh, because it is probably very similar. It's, it's one of those things where, like I said, you know, earlier it made running the studio. Like I started the studio because I, I enjoy audio engineering and, and I enjoy music. And, and I started making beats, you know, my son was born because I stayed home with him for the first two years. I didn't have my drums, so that's when I started making beats. Um, you know, I started the studio to help people and to be that, you know, just to be that guy that, that just did good music, you know. Um, and, it, it, you know, over the course of, of the five years, it was very stressful. Um, and it did. I, I listen. I, I I shut the studio down for years. I, I shut it down in twenty, like twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Um, and I just stopped. I had no motivation to create. Um, I had no more even to play drum. I just had none. I I had fought for so many years, like you just said, and and, and like I stated in, in that piece. It it it. I st- I spent so many years fighting consistently to prove to people that I was more than their assumptions. Right. And it didn't have to be just verbal. It was, you know, either looks or when you enter into a room or, you know, you getting, you know, overlooked for, for, for different opportunities because they, Oh, I didn't know you had a studio. Oh, I didn't know you recorded. Oh, I didn't know you played drums. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Well, motherfucker, you never asked, you know what I mean? And quite frankly, you assumed, Right. So you got this half ass motherfucker playing drums or doing whatever. And because you made an assumption, your shit now sounds like trash when you could have just asked me and I would have done it right. You know, not to mention on that same note, I've had tons of clients who have come to me and they'll say I have a pro they have a project. And I'll say, okay, well, this is my professional opinion. Oh, well, you know, I'm gonna, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ask around, you know, and they go to some white dude and they overpay. 
and the dude fucking fleeces them for their money. And the song sounds like shit. And then guess what happens three, six years later? I get the phone call. Oh, yeah, remember me? Yeah, I remember you. Oh, yeah, well, I found so-and-so to do my song, and 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 he charged us blah, 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 thousands of dollars, and we only got one song done, and and it sounds like shit. It didn't sound the way you – okay, well, then I guess you should have listened to the black man in the first place. Now it's going to cost you double to fix it. That's my ha-ha. But at the end, you know, that dealing with that consistently over and over and over and over and over and over and over again you know, is, you know, I, I, I was, I was given voice lessons recently to, to a, a young little white girl. Um, her, she or her mom wanted her to be a singer. She wanted to be a singer. That was great. And even that was consistently like, they, they went to another producer here in town and he fleeced them for a good year of their money. Girl didn't learn how to sing. The songs he produced were trash. And she comes to me and she's like, oh, we're not happy with him. I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And no one's happy. And the girl's like, oh, well, you're asking me to do too much work. I don't want to sing these songs. Well, guess what, Chicky? You want to sing, you got to sing songs. And you got to sing something else than, I'm sorry, Hillary, Harry fucking Styles. Like, I don't know, like, you know what? Like, when you go to singing auditions... People in the industry don't want to hear Harry Styles. They want to hear <laughs> that's facts, though. They don't want to hear that. No. They don't want to hear pop music, right? They want to know that you can sing. So she wanted to get mad because I was telling her to sing Fleetwood Mac and you know Elton John, you know songs. She didn't want to sing it. Well, what do you do at that point? Now I'm the big. Now what do I do? Now I'm the big black man making a little white girl sing songs she don't want to sing. That's a very awkward spot for me to be in. Yeah, right? there's definitely key songs out there that you need to learn to sing those to teach, train your vocal cords to do certain things. And that's yeah, just an and, essential. Yeah, and Watermelon Sugar is not basic. one of them. I'm sorry, Hillary. It's just not one of them songs. Like, like playing just, a piano is 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 like singing. You got to you gotta do the fun to fundamentals and the technicals to to get to where you want to be that's with your true, voice. Yes, Hillary's yes. looking. Go yes. ahead, Hillary. Go, I, I want to hear I want to hear this. The funniest part about that is if this girl was a real Harry Styles fan. She would be singing the songs that inspired him to be a singer, which are literally the artists you named. That's oh, actually fair, the funniest thing about fair. all of this is that <laughs> okay. his biggest inspirations are Fleetwood, Elton John, Rock, Rolling Stones. His own music sucks. I'll say it. Watermelon Sugar's trash. And it's trash. Good laugh, but though. she's just done singing that song. <laughs> and I was like, this is not a song. I'm like, this is not a song. Yeah, so you gotta, variation in all you gotta get there. But my but my thing is that you know, like you know, her her parents were like, well, you know, and I knew their hesitation was mainly because of the fact that here I am, this black man trying to tell you how to sing, and you doubt my credibility and my credentials because of my skin color, not because of anything else. Because you assume yep. automatically that I'm a big black man, so therefore I must only know hip hop and RB and rap, and so I must not know what I'm talking about. Um, and yes, it, it, it's an emotional toll. It's a mental toll. Like I said, I, I, I went for years not wanting to play drums, not not being creative at all. And, you know, two going on two and a half years ago, I finally got that spark again. And, you know, now I have my band and things are great. But I'm best. I'm finally doing music that I want to do. I'm finally producing, you know, music and composing stuff and writing the songs that I want to write. Um, and I have a team, you know, and I have my band that, you know, that are on the same page and, and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's something that I, I didn't think I'd be able to do again. Um, and I'm very happy that I am able to do it again. Um, because there's, you know, it's, it's been a very 
liberating and freeing experience and I'm really enjoying this creative process and and you know I and I mean there was a time when I didn't think I would be able to write songs again like you know I, I've been writing songs forever um I had a band when I first moved here called Delivery back in 2002 and and you know I wrote all their songs I, I actually I wrote their song I wrote 26 songs when my son was born I had like this massive like floodgate of like just blah and uh and so, and I'll stop tapping the table. Yes, um, and so, <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. So I, I had this massive blah when my son was born, just like just an outpouring of stuff, of music and stuff. And and I honestly, I looked for a while. I looked at those songs, and I'm like, man, I'll never be able to write like this again. And you know, the past like said two and a half years, I've been able to write songs again, and 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 you know, and and just you know, learn new new things on the drums. And so it's it's good, it's good. But yes, it's it's. The races that you encounter here in New Brunswick because of assumptions. And like we said earlier, you know, New Brunswick is a time capsule. And I don't understand why it is, but it truly is a time capsule. And you have individuals here, young and old, who are dead set on holding on to a point in time where they're allowed or they feel they're allowed to just, you know, do and say and be any way they want to to, to, to other people. Um, and, and, you know, just outside of music it's very tiring living here in new brunswick um you know what i mean like i go for you know walks and you know and i, and I go out go to the park and you know i gotta deal with you know going around the park and and there's a chick who's walking and now i gotta think okay well i'm now i'm walking at a certain pace i know she's walking super slow if i walk at this pace i'm going to catch up to her when i catch up to her now i gotta make sure that i announce myself say excuse me move over three feet and then run past her so that she doesn't get any ideas that this black man is chasing her harassing her stalking you know what i mean like it's, it's dumb shit like that still that you know it, it's tiring it's tiring i'm weary <laughs> oh, can i comment one quick thing i mean sure, it is wild uh i was woken at like one in the morning last night with fire trucks and ambulance and police cars outside of my my country home in the middle of nowhere on this highway and i guess a car had flipped over in front of my house and turned on its side so i watched from the window for a while and you know i wanted to go outside but i was like afraid to go outside bad business man stay indoors yeah and then i did go outside and you know the cop car was in front of my house and there was another one down the road. And I, you know, I made sure I stayed like 30, 40 feet away. I wanted to see what was happening. I wanted to make sure there was no danger of this car exploding or anything like that. But I'm on my own property at 1am in the morning. And I was afraid to go close to the police. It doesn't mean the police was a bad person by any means. It's just this same thought, like the thoughts that probably women of color have all the times too, but definitely men of color have all the times about just that mental 180 talked about that when I talked to him last week, um, that mental check you have to do all the time just to like constantly try not to be perceived as dangerous. So yeah, I feel yeah, you, man. I feel you. It's, it's, it's wild. My last, my last blog was a poem about this inner monologue yes, of yeah, the woman. Was. Not only I can't be like black and afraid of being black, but I also have to be afraid of being a woman and being perceived as small and like yeah. uh, rapeable for a lack of a better term. But like all of those mental gymnastics are exhausting all the time and adding a racial element to it is the worst. And you guys know in the media space, um, and I'm sure Hillary, you probably experienced this, you know, when you know your skill set is, you know, as good or better than your counterparts and you have individuals making assumptions all the time about you and about what you're capable of. And, and, Oh, you know, I didn't realize you could do blah. What kind of fucking statement is that? 
Um, you know, and that's just consistent. That's consistent, you know, in, in every area of creativity here in, in Canada, but in New Brunswick especially. I have a communications degree. I can't do a fucking thing with that. Cause, I mean, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's one of those things where... You know, I, I, the first, honestly, the first labor jobs I ever worked was here in New Brunswick because like in, in New York, I, I was, I worked for a music copywriter and I worked for record labels. Like I never, you know, even thought about doing labor. Um, and then I come here and, you know, I had to make my living doing labor, you know, because no one wanted to acknowledge the fact that I actually had some sort of aptitude and some sort of intelligence. Right. So it's, you know. And, 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 you know, it's even in my personal life, like I was t- telling my wife, like, I'm tired of being perceived as just the big, strong guy who will, like, protect things and people. <laughs> like, I want to do something else. I want to be perceived as something else, right? And and so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's exhausting here on a lot of levels. But, you know, creatively, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, you know, just putting putting out music and, and dealing with the industry individuals here, it's, you know, it's definitely it, it's definitely an uphill climb. And really, after 20 years, it really shouldn't be. Um, it really, really shouldn't be. But it is. You know, you look at, you know, the ECMAs, they claim they were doing diversity panels. Like, that blows, That term blows my mind. Like, what the fuck is a diversity panel? And why do I need to have a fucking panel to know that the shit that I've been doing is wrong? Right? I need a three-day summit to figure out that me not, not nominating... Panel. You know you don't need the panel. They need the panel. What a three day summit? A three day summit, Hillary, to do what? Let them spend the money. <laughs> and then, do you did you see the nominees for this year's ECMAs? Yeah, I don't, let's not get there. Let's not go. Into no that. one learned shit. No one learned a damn thing. Not a fucking thing. Three day summits, one week online summits, all this other diversity training and shit. And what did they learn? Did you see the nominees for ECMA this year? Yeah, I Listen. wonder, and I mean, we we got to, oh, go ahead, Hillary, I'm so no, sorry. No, I was just going to say very briefly that I was asked to submit diversity stuff for a specific organization in New Brunswick for Black History Month. We're five days out of Black History Month and the work's not done. A- accountability uh, with certain groups of people is not strong. And we all just try our best. And we hope, as Black people, we get recognized. Yes, yes, yes. What were you going to say? No, I just, I think we were going to ask you, we wanted to talk to you about a bit about a couple of things with you musically. But I just want to say, do you think possibly, like you said, Classify, he gets all these bags, he gets all this grant money from um, the government. And so do a lot of New Brunswick artists who are maybe of a different persuasion do you think the lack of nominees and entries into these organizations ecma music new brunswick is due to a lack of the people here knowing how to get involved how to get involved in the industry having a lack of access and connections uh maybe the music new brunswick needs to do better to search for and reach out to black artists because you do have to be a member of these organizations to be nominated you can't you just do. have good music correct? yeah and, and you're absolutely yeah. correct about that um and i think you're correct in the fact that music new brunswick needs to do better. Um, Music New Brunswick does not reach out to um, any other community besides primarily the Francophone, in my opinion, and some of the Anglophone, depending on who you are. and maybe asks them to sign up, like gets them to sign up. Finds well, he, members, well, and, that's, and, that, and that's what I was saying earlier. Like, you know, I've gone to, you know, so-called SOCAN information sessions at Music New Brunswick, and they were done exclusively in French. And I show up and I'm like, okay, well, where's the English version? Well, uh, 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 what do you mean? Uh, uh, uh. It, mm. This information is supposed to be for everybody. 
not just for your pals and your friends and friends of friends, right? And here's the thing. I'm, I'm not shitting on Francophone artists. Francophone artists do your thing. What I'm shitting on is the organizations favoring you and saying that this is going to be the poster child of what New Brunswick does musically. Okay? It, Music New Brunswick needs to alter and update its mandate. And if you're going to just go ahead and just favor the, I guess, the organization that's giving you funding, which is heritage, culture, and tourism, then just say so. Don't say your music New Brunswick for all music in New Brunswick because that's not the case. They do not have information sessions in other language besides Frank, French and English. They're not doing any in any any you know African languages or anything in any you know Middle Eastern languages or in Asian languages. They're not doing it. Indigenous they're not doing languages. it. Indigenous to I'm sure they're not. Okay, you know what I mean. They're not doing it. And the few Indigenous artists that do come through are very white passing, in my humble opinion. That's how I feel. You know, um, Jeremy Dutcher, nothing but love for the guy, but he's a white boy. Like, let's just be real. Like, he's very easy on the eyes, and you know what? They love him, okay? But he's the poster boy right now for indigenous music, okay? So when you look at what they will do when it comes to them being on, you know, put under the microscope and saying, what are you doing to be diverse? That's how they're moving, and they're not going, and there's so much talent here. There's so much talent here. Like, you know, there are tons, immigrants come here. Can, you know, repeatedly, and they're so talented. There's so many talented musicians here that are doing Afro, that are doing, you know, different types of, of Middle East, or who are just doing rap that we have, you know, uh, uh, I've had musicians from, from India, from Dubai, contact me about beats, because over there, they're having an explosion in, 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 in hip-hop right now. Um, so, you know, music runs, and like I said earlier, they're not doing enough in the community. They're not putting on showcases. They're not having open information sessions. They're not having kiosks in the mall, you know, in, in the store saying, hey, are you an artist? Fill out this card. Give us your basic information. We'll send you some information via email or here's a pamphlet. They're not doing anything out there to reach people where they are. Um, and it's a very closed off group. And I know they'll say in response, oh, no, our doors are always open. You can find us in the Aberdeen Center. Just come through any time of day. Yeah, that's cute to say, but that's not you getting out there and reaching the community, right? If you are a community entity and you are supposed to be about music in this province and building an actual infrastructure and ecosystem for musicians, that's going to entail you get leaving the office and creating initiatives in the community to get people interested, like you said, to get the information out. And yes, you're absolutely correct. The number of nominations that come in are primarily from white artists. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, you're charging fees for, for, you know, nominations. You're not getting out there looking for artists of color specifically. And so therefore, yeah, you end up with this pool of white, mostly white men and a few white women sprinkled in mm -hmm. every year. And so, yes, the money keeps going and gets recycled. And again, I'm sure Classified's a hardworking guy. The thing about Classified that bothers me is the fact that he is the poster child for urban music in the Maritimes, which is troubling to me. Right? I don't understand. Like, I'm quite sure that there are have, have been and are black artists that have been around as long as Classified, who have put out as much material as Classified, and who are not getting that type of recognition and clout within the industry. 
Um, so yes, Music Brothers definitely needs to do more to get out there and and to do more of a grassroots grassroots campaign to get people interested and and to get people the information that's required. Because I have clients all the time that come to me and they don't know they don't know about SoCan, they don't know about you know um, ISRC codes, they don't know about even the grant programs. They're like they heard someone talk about it or someone mentioned to them that oh they think Music New Brunswick will give you money. Well, what is that about? You know what I mean? So that the, the fact that you have artists coming to me as a, as a producer and as a musician and, you know, as a studio owner asking these questions shows that Music New Brunswick is not out there being proactive in giving the information to to our very diverse community um, that exists here uh, in New Brunswick. Um, we, I want to ask, of course, before we start to wrap it up and we can stop making this about classified, more importantly, about Echo 7. Yes, I want to yes. know more about Echo 7. <laughs> um, you guys have a single coming out soon. You yes. haven't even told us enough about this band yet. So please tell us what's up with the band. What's up with the single? Okay. Um, Echo 7 was started two and a half years ago. Um, we are a five-piece alt-metal hard rock post-grunge band. Um, that is what we do. We do all original music. Uh, we released three singles independently. Um, that got the attention of a label in the States called Curtain Call Records. Um, they are affiliated with Sony, um, and we signed a two-year deal um, last year with them. We released two singles with them under the Sony imprint, um, and this year we are scheduled to release, I believe, another three plus an EP. So the single that is going to be released... Um, First this year is called Keep From Breaking. Um, very excited for the song. Um, this song is um, going to show our growth as a band, uh, my growth as a producer, as an engineer in this genre, because I had to relearn how to mix and master and engineer for the modern sound that I wanted. I'm used to doing grunge records, which is very much put a mic in a room and, you know, and go for it. Um, but today's rock is very, very, it, it, you know, it's quantized. It's very clean. Um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, synth, synth elements in there, um, you know, and, and so it, it borders on that line of kind of electronic music, depending on the band. And the genre is so wide and diverse now. So, um, but Echo 7, there's, there's like, so there's five of us. We have a female lead singer, Stephanie Roy. Uh, Marcus LeBlanc is uh, our lead guitar player. Justin Laracy is our rhythm guitar player. And uh, Luke Smith is our bass player. And I, along McCall and the drummer. Um, we have a show coming up uh, here locally, uh, April 9th at uh, Lexi's Lounge. Um, that'll be our first show um, of this year. We managed to actually sneak in two shows last year during our lockdowns, which was quite exciting. But this year we actually have like four lined up so far and counting. So hopefully as festivals, you know, uh, come on board, we'll, we'll, we'll be getting the call. Uh, but Echo 7 is a great band. Like I said, we do, you know, all original music. Uh, it's a hard rock sound. We've got, you know, chunky guitars and heavy drums. And, and I write about my emotions. <laughs> and that's, that's basically what it is. And, and I try, you know, but the thing is I, I'm trying to, um, to be uh, very motivational in, in my writing as well. So there's songs about struggle, but they're also songs about triumph. Uh, so in the end of the song, um, it's a, the songs always end up victorious, you know, so the song may start out about, you know, talking about whatever the problem or the issues are, or the struggle is, but the song also has a message of growth and progression and, and, and motivation of you can get through whatever it is that you're going through. Um, 
And, and so that's that's what we do. That's who we are. And uh, I'm very excited for the EP that's going to be entitled X-Ray in Use. Um, it'll probably be a five-track EP. And there's um, a single coming out soon, right? Yeah, Key From Breaking is the single. Uh, we delivered all the assets to the label. We're just waiting for a release date, literally. Um, so as soon as that release date comes out, hopefully it'll be out before the end of April is the plan. Um, so yeah, so that, that's who we are. That's what we do. What's the song about? Key From Breaking, <laughs> Key from breaking um, is, a, is a song that I wrote. Uh, my previous employer decided to mismanage funds and go bankrupt. And uh, which was really fucked up because I reached the level of oh, regional manager, funds. and uh, mm-hmm. and and I was so excited, I'm like yes, a regional manager, and they go under. Um, but what what spurred the song was the way that the company dealt with the employees during the downfall, and I was on several um, conference calls with employees who hadn't gotten paid for two months, three months, and these and you could hear the desperation in their voice. They're like, my rent needs to get paid. I got car notes. What am I going to do? You said there was going to be money. You said there was going to be money. And I'm listening to the president. I'm listening to the COO. I'm listening to everyone lie to these people and be like, oh, no, there's going to be money there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Friday, Friday, there'll be money. Friday comes and goes and there's no money. And so that really bothered me in a very real way. And um, Justin wrote the riff. And uh, it was like a voice note. And so anyway, I do my writing in various places. I don't have one set place where I do my writing. And so I was driving. I was actually on the very, my very last um, armored run that I was doing for them. And, and uh, I had the voice note and I'm playing it on a loop. And I wrote the song in like 40 minutes. I'm driving and writing the song. Um, yeah. And so literally like, and it was funny because I'd write the first verse. and I'd tell the band in the group chat, First verse done. Ten minutes later, second verse done. Ten minutes later, hook's done. And then it got to a stoplight. I record the melody in a voice note, right? And I was like, here, song's done. Um, and that's how the song came about. The song is about not just that situation, but it's more of a general umbrella of just, you know, when you go through a situation where you're not being listened to, and you're not being heard, and someone's patronizing you. And they keep patronizing you. And, you know, the, 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 the chorus, the hook of the song is, um, if I ask the question, why would you choose another lie? Would you pretend that this is not my heart? You keep on breaking. But if you ask the question, why don't be surprised to see me cry is the only thing that I can do to keep from breaking you. So the hook is about you being patronized, but the only thing you can do in that moment is cry because if you don't do something, you're going to hurt that person who's affecting you. So again, this song is about you being in pain, but in the end, you are the one in control because this is the only thing that I can do to keep from breaking you right now. So don't mistake my crying for me being weak and being unable to do anything right now. I'm taking the higher road right now, even though I know you think you're in control, but if I were to let myself go, this would be totally different. And that's what the song is about. Um, so it's about you having self-control and having, you know, um, the poise to get through it and be the bigger person. I, I, I didn't know that we needed a theme song. <laughs> but I feel like maybe. 
I don't know about other people who've maybe experienced something like this, but I think we could have a theme song. We should definitely at least play it. I think that sounds uh, like an amazing theme. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I Those appreciate lyrics that. were fire. Yeah. Um, you know, writing songs with voice notes in a car is a great way to write music. I got to be honest with you. It is. It is. It is. It is, it is it, you do tend to come up with some things. And uh, yeah, I really feel the concept. I can't wait to hear it. I mean, having all been members of a previous organization, I mean, I can relate to some of those concepts. Uh, not merely maybe in the song, but with your past workplace. Um, well, any situation, like I said, it, it's, it's, I wrote the song in a way where it's not, the, the lyrics are not like about this company. It's, it's, I write in very general terms. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the tricks with this band also is that I have to write lyrics that a girl can sing and it sounds like she wrote it. So I have right. to be very cognizant of that when I'm writing, right? Um, you know, the first verse is, I can't even tell your fact from fiction, leaving me in hot inside another mess, the same excuse and expectations tattooed upon the souls you want to dress. Um, I cannot fear the moments coming. I wander through the thunder and the rain. You can't hear my voice, I'm drowning. But in the end, I guess it's all the same. And then, so that's, right, so. Um, Fire. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that, nice guys. Lyrics. Really, Fire. thank you. I, I, that means a lot. Yeah. I wonder sometimes. I'm like, uh, can, I, no. can, I, can I write? Because <laughs> everyone's okay. a songwriter now, right? Like, watermelon yeah, sugar, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's too bad that song hasn't been released as of the date that we're releasing this episode because we would love to end the podcast with that song. Uh, we are going to end with something else, but I have some other quick questions for you. Um, where are they? Oh, are you still taking clients, by the way? And if so, uh, how can listeners reach out to you and contact you? If not, I am, I'll go on to the next question. No, no, I am taking clients. I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a very, very fortunate situation um, where I'm being very, very particular about the clients that I take on, um, i.e. that if you're going to waste my time, don't bother. Um, but if you are serious about your craft and you want to do work and you're looking to pursue this music thing seriously, I'm definitely willing to talk and, and meet and, and, and discuss. And um, so I do more consulting than I do recording now, but I, the studio is open to record. Um, if you want to reach the studio, uh, you can email us at the we music studios at gmail.com as the best way to reach the studio. Um, and yeah, just shoot me an email and just say, Hey, like I heard about you and this is what I'm looking to do. And, and I'm always down to talk about the industry, always down to talk about, you know, uh, music in general. Um, and I don't, I usually don't charge for the consult either. If you want to talk and ask questions and just pick my brain about, you know, what your, you feel your next move should be, or, you know, marketing advice or whatever, just shoot me an email, you know, we'll set up a phone call. We'll talk, you know, that's always free. I, information is free. I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't do that. I don't believe in that. Now, if you come to record, I'm charging you. But to give you information, yeah. information is free. I have no problem educating people because the more artists are educated, that's how you build a scene. That's how you build an industry. Giving people information, right? Amazing. That leads into my very next question. Um, so to any listeners, uh, whoever they are, um, if they want to get more involved in the industry here in New Brunswick, anyone especially black people because there is a definite lack there's a lot of musicians and there's even a lot of french musicians that have come here um from africa who are you're killing it with like those those afrobeats nowadays um what kind of advice do you have for people wanting to get their real foot in the real door here in new brunswick's industry there is no industry here to get your foot in 
That's the problem, okay. right? Okay. So, yeah. um, so basically, it comes down to, you know, we live in a digital age, as everyone knows. Um, you don't need an industry or an association to distribute your music, to record your music. Um, what you need to do is educate yourself on how the music business works. And there are certain fundamental things that you should do and that you should know. Um, so my advice, like I just said, you know what? Find someone who is knowledgeable. My door is always open. Um, if you have questions about, you know, registering your music, about, you know, what proper distribution methods you should go through, um, you know, suggestions on, you know, who to do artwork with or who to do videos with or whatever. Um, I have no problem, again, sharing that information. But I think the most important thing for any artist or any person of color doing music in New Brunswick is just educate yourself on the industry um, and, and truly understand that you need to be self-sufficient. Um, depending on getting grants is not the way to fund your career because those grants will dry up. Um, you know, they're based on, you know, sometimes there's, there's like Arts New Brunswick is based on a panel that, that changes literally every cycle with the grants. Um, you know, Music New Brunswick, they have their own way of doing things. You can't count and rely on grants to fund your, your art. You're going to have to fund it yourself. Um, so understand that first and foremost, but just get educated, just learn how the business works, learn what it means to be an independent musician. Um, and that's how you can create a career for yourself. Um, and just understand that it's going to take investment and money and time. It's the long game. You're not going to hit the, the, the whole, like, you know, one hit wonder thing is a gamble. Um, it's think, think of your career as a marathon. It's not a sprint. Juan, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thank um, you for having me. Thank we're, you. Having I me. mean, we're both so happy. We're we're all friends. Um, so it was really good having you on, especially while I'm under the weather. Such a good episode to give me comfort. Um, if people want to find you other than consulting stuff, social media stuff, Echo Seven, what are all of the social medias to find you at? Okay, let's start with the band. So at underscore Echo Seven on Instagram, Twitter. That's where you can find the band. We have a Facebook page again, underscore Echo seven uh you can find us on seven or spelt seven uh spelt seven so underscore e-c-h-o-s-e-v-e-n um that's where you can find us uh myself is uh alon mccall on instagram and i believe it's the we music on twitter um i'm also on linkedin if anyone does that anymore um but yeah the band the most important thing we have a youtube channel um, our music is on all digital platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, just again, underscore E-C-H-O-S-E-V-E-N. Um, you can find us everywhere. Um, and I tag along with that. So, um, and you have a, you do behind the scenes on TikTok sometimes too. I've been quite proud. You do the TikToky sometimes. Do I? You've, you've Echo 7 TikToked. I have, I have. I need to start up again, though. I've, uh-huh. I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been slacking. I've been slacking. I've been concentrating on Instagram um, lately. But, um, but yeah, uh, thanks to your help, I, I've, I know, and my son's help, um, I'm yes. learning TikTok a lot, a lot more. It's still confusing to me, but I think I'm going to restart and, and, and see how we can, we can go with this. Good. We're so happy to have you on. Um, and very quickly, before we segue to a potential song of yours that we want to play at the end, our socials, Clinton Davis, Cropberry, We Are Blacklanic, blacklanic.ca, Blacklanic on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. We have a GoFundMe. We would like money so we can have contributors do fun things. I'm never going to pitch it well because it's very weird, but we would like 
to make this a better thing all the time because we can always grow and money makes things grow. Um, so that exists. What am I forgetting? We drop video versions of this the same day that you are hearing this. So go check up our YouTube channel for the full episode and full interview. If you want to see our fun reactions and see me coughing on this episode, thank you to CHMA FM for broadcasting us Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Atlantic. Oh, that's a good time slot. It is a good time slot. That's a good time. Like if this were TV, that's a great time slot. Like that's prime. That's like 60 minutes time slot. That's like, (laughs) (laughs) like, like 60, when I was a kid, it was like 60 minutes at Knight Rider. Like that's the, that's like prime time slot right there. I like that. And I'm surprised. And you know, you guys getting your Black Atlantic, sorry, getting on all the socials and not having to like amend it is very impressive. Congratulations on that too. Thank you didn't have to do like Black Atlantic TV or Black Atlantic Media. You just got your name. I think that's very cool. That's very cool. We're we're pretty proud. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. And I think that's us. Yeah, so we're gonna end the episode uh, with music. Um, Alon, have you had a chance to think throughout this episode of what you want the people to hear? I'm going to suggest um, the first single that we released on the label, which is called Everything. Um, And that song, uh, basically, in a nutshell, is just about um, you finding your inner strength to tell someone that you know that they exist because of you. So the hook is you're thinking of the lies that you say to me hauntingly to watch me cry. I'm turning on the lights to make you stare at me and know that I am your everything. So the person who's abusing you or hating on you thinks that you need them when in reality they need you because you're fueling their life by existing. Wow. It's the way I think. It's just the way way I think. I'm sorry. Before we segue to the song, just... Consider a TikTok channel where you dramatically read the lyrics as entertainment to say, because I could, I think with a good ambiance, I would be very into that too. Well, I need your help then. I need your help. I think I need a deeper voice too. I need like a, like a James Earl Jones type of. We can craft it. You know what I mean? I need something. Your voice is pretty deep. I think I need something dramatic. No, man. I need that Darth Vader dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. No, you do not. (laughs) That's what I need. My that's, heart what I, is. That's, that's, that's what I need. I, I no, need you don't. You, okay, you need Hillary to give you some advice. I do on need Hillary to how help to do yes. the TikTok because you don't need a Darth. I mean, maybe, maybe a Darth Vader. Maybe wear a Batman costume and read poetry that you you wrote sitting with the intent of a woman to sing it. It could be the next thing. Maybe. Listen, my charger's sitting comfortably in my garage better. right maybe. now. Maybe you're right. And now. <laughs> Everything okay. by Echo 7. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for being our guest, Alon. Here it is. Thanks.